laughs> I know you will. Sasha Native, Amy Frank Mel, is a wife, mother of three, and a professional photographer in Little Rock. For more than a decade, she has owned and operated Studio Bello Photo and Design and is concurrently managing photographer for Bella Lady Photography, servicing literal area hospitals since 2011. The Harding University grad has a call to action for Christian women in today's society to stand up and fight for truth and transparency in our families and churches. She and her husband, Matt, <laughs> serve with the Central Church of Downtown Little Rock in their marriage and discipleship ministries. Their family advocates for improvement in public education in the capital city and volunteers with local schools and nonprofits in Central Arkansas. I'm sure you all have already read that on the program. That's her formal life. On a more personal note, I, uh, Wendy's given her story about the first time she met Amy. I first met Amy in the fall of 1998. At that time, my daughter Becky was being inducted into an honor society at Harding University. So, me and my husband Rick, my mother, my in-laws, Clyde and Beverly Bell, all trekked up to Cersei for the weekend for this honor society induction. Well, my son Mac was a sophomore at the time. And he heard Tommy when he said, I want you to meet a girl. Well, I told my husband and my in-laws and my mother, I want us to meet a girl. <laughs> okay, Mac, in all his 20 years, he never had more than one date. I saw her going, a girl. Oh, Tommy! So, he introduced us to Matt to Amy that weekend. Well, we knew immediately why she was important to Mac. We all fell in love with her too. I can get through this. Amy is one of the most genuine, unassuming people in the world. She is the sister to my daughter Becky, the sister that she never had, and always has been there for her when I couldn't be. And for that, I will be eternally grateful to She is the Mary to my Martha. Always active, actively seeking ways to sit at the feet of Jesus. She is the wife of my son, the mother of my grandchildren, my most precious daughter-in-law. But most importantly, she is my sister in Christ. I'm thrilled to introduce Amy Bell. Springs area for the last 18 years and so many of you all 
are important to me and have supported us in our life, and I'm grateful. So I love to look out and see your faces and know so many stories of each of you. And I know that a lot of what we'll say tonight, and some may be discussion, I would, I would hope that there's something that touches your heart. And first of all, though, I have a love for Hobby Lobby. Does anyone else? We're women. <laughs> So, um, I have a hard time not spending when I'm there, and I found a lot of sayings and quotes that support what we'll talk about tonight, so at different times I'll hold them up. And it's probably fitting that this first one I start with is, Dear Lord, please put your arm around my shoulder and your hand over my mouth. Because I don't want to be the speaker, I want it to be him. And so we're going to just remember this as we go forward. Also, they could tell you I'm kind of a talker, so we're going to hope that that one's just the spirit and not me talking tonight. But I am really glad to share my family's story with you. Um, not all of it is pretty, but it's real. And that's what I want to encourage us and our family to encourage us to do is to just be real and see things the way they are and the way the Lord sees them, if we can learn that at all. And I am not a professional. I am not a therapist. I've just had a lot of therapy. And so a lot of the things that I will say, most of the things I will say are not my own ideas. They are taken from studies that we've done and things that we've taught um, that have helped us to other groups, and part of which being this book called Safe People. It's by Henry Cloud and John Townsend. They are the authors of the Boundaries series, if you're familiar with that. It's a great book. A lot of the content and the things on your handout will be coming from this book tonight. So if you hear something that strikes a nerve and you want to start with the book, this is the good one. I've presented a few times my family story to a ladies class at Harding University and each time I get mixed reviews about the things that have been said, but every time they want to hear more about my personal story. So I will share that with you tonight. Part of my therapy is that one of my anxious tics is that I tremor and I kind of look like I'm seizing, so if I'm shaking and I'm not cold, I'm just <laughs> working through my, my anxiety. But um, I want to start... I can't see those screens, but I think I can move this over and show you guys some things as we work through the list tonight. I want to start by asking the question, who is a safe person? If you were just to ask a group of teenagers that or answer it yourself, what are some things that you would shout out? So go ahead and shout them now. What was that? Police. Police. Okay. Nurses. Who? Nurses. Firemen. Firemen. Okay. Parents. Parents. Teachers? Okay. All good answers. Perfect answers. Uh, I asked myself this question, and when I look at this list that you guys see, these are the things that was safe, the, the, the uh, characteristics of safety to me. And each of these things identify a characteristic of my father. And in my life, he was like the funny, fun, great-to-be-around guy that was my same person. Um, that didn't prove to still be the case over the years. We have a lot of water under the bridge, and I'm going to share some of it with you tonight. But I want you to know and to see the characteristics that are on the board. A Christian, a parent, you know, a deacon at church. Maybe it's a, a minister or um, somebody in an authoritative role. If I were to answer this question as I did, I would have listed these same things. But we asked this question to our teenagers at our inner city church in, in uh, Little Rock, and their answers were wiser than ours. They were saying honesty, 
trustworthiness, dependability. They not once thought of somebody's role making them safe. And I thought, these teenagers know more than we adults have learned in our life. Growing up in church and understanding what Christianity is and what godly people are and what safe people are. So that's what I want to look at tonight. Um, as Mandy mentioned, I went to Harding. I was the third generation. And so I was like super proud and like drinking the Christian Kool-Aid and thought we were just doing all the right things. I met Mac there and... Um, I, life was great. I did not have any need for heaven. I didn't want it because heaven was Cersei, Arkansas. <laughs> and I didn't have any need for Jesus because there was nothing to be saved from. I was in the safest, most comfortable place with a full community that loved me. And it still is. And it can be a great community for many people. My experience changed, so I'm going to share that with you a little bit today. Next slide. Only you ladies on the front can read this, so I'll, I'll read it to you. <clears throat> Remember, as far as everyone knows, we're a nice, normal family. It's not Nobody has to ever know the difference. Um, this is the way so many families live. I would venture to say so many of us are living like that now because we just don't want people to really know what's going on. If we do, then they have, we have to face it. Someone finds out. So secrets have a way of coming out. Um, this is the first blank on your handout if you're filling those out. I don't have pens, but I think they provide them for you. This is a quote from Joe in his book, Seeing the Unseen. He talks about if secrets are in your life, you better take the opportunity to reveal them for the glory of God and let Him heal you because if you don't, darkness will reveal secrets when it will do the most collateral damage. If you give Satan the tools to ruin your life, he's going to take it, and he's going to wait until the point at which it will do the most damage to you and your family. So rather than giving him that tool, there's something that is buried in your life now or in your family's life, find a group, find some friends. We'll talk about what to do in more specific detail later, but do not let him do that to you. Let it become your ministry and use it for glory. Um, okay, guilty pleasure. I love Days of Our Lives. I've loved it since I was a teenager. Raise your hand if you love Days of Our Lives. <laughs> there is no storyline that does not involve somebody's secrets being buried and coming out. What in the world would they have a show about if it wasn't about secrets and lies, right? So I watched that show in years past and thought, my goodness, I could be on that show. I could be living this. It's not the way you want it to play out. But in 2007, I was pregnant with my second child. She's eight now. And um, this is kind of the beginning of when we started to realize things were not going well. I'll start by saying, I have, in, in years past, my father and I have had conversations about the fact that I will never seek to tell something that is untrue about him, and I will never say anything untrue about him. But this is my life story. And so I will share it, and I do want it to be able to help you or help anybody else if he knows that. Um, this story is my mother's story, it's my brother's story, and we all have to share it. So as easy as it would be to not talk about it, it's harder to say it, but it's more worth the, the effort and it's more worth your hearing it. So um, during that pregnancy with my second child, I had a friend who was also pregnant, and she had discovered that her husband was struggling with pornography, 
she had caught him in some chat rooms and came to Mac and me to discuss what to do about that. And we didn't know how to administer to them. We were all young. And so uh, my dad was a, a teacher and a professor, so I called him and said, you know, my friends are dealing with this. Do you have any idea what we could do to help them? And he gave me some good advice, and then it was tagged with, but behind every man who struggles in that, there's a woman who's enabling it. And I thought, red flag. I don't like that. That didn't sound right to me. But we went on. Later in my pregnancy, I'm spending the night with my parents at their house, and I get up to get a drink of water. All pregnant people pee like four times a day, so <laughs> So um, I got up to get a drink of water, and I heard ding, 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 I like a computer going off in the night. So I was following the dark hallways through my parents' house and got to the office and found him in a chat room with a woman. I could see her face, and he immediately fumbled around and tried to turn it off and was like, oh, I had no idea. I'm so sorry. She just asked if she could view, and I didn't know what to do. And I thought, you old man. You do not know how dangerous it is to be online at 2.30 in the morning. And I thought, I'm going to have to give him some instructions. He needs to learn. He needs to learn the rules. Poor old guy. <laughs> the internet is a tough place. But it, what ended up happening was... Through this process, my friend whose husband was struggling and myself decided that we were going to take all the computers in our family and have them like scrubbed at a computer store to see if there was any inappropriate content. Because ladies, if you don't fight for your family, who's going to? And so we wanted to make sure that our families were safe from things that were online and the husbands all agreed to it. I got my mother to agree to do that as a part of this process, and so my, my friend and I were both pregnant. We're like eight months by this time. Both of us, big bellies, carrying computers at the time, we're not small, you know, like this out of our house in this covert operation to get them to a computer store. Well, we did, and after the fact, I called Dad and said, hey, when you get home today, you're going to see that your computer is missing. He said, okay. And I said, Mom told me it was fine. We're doing it too. We're just having everybody's computers checked out to make sure that you guys are safe. We're going to want to protect you from the world that's out there. And cool as a cat, he was like, okay, just let me know when, when it'll be back. And was absolutely fine with it. And I thought, okay, there's nothing wrong. He's, he's being upfront and honest. This is transparent. I like it. Well, we didn't know, but of course God did. Next slide. Even if there's something we can't see, can y'all tell me what this is? I saw that. God always knows, so who are we fooling if we don't do say anything amongst ourselves? The person who really matters, who knows all things, who holds our salvation knows. It's reality. We've got to live in that. So, it took a week for the computers to come back, and he got scared and started saying, I think I ought to talk to your mom and tell her some things. So they sat down and he kind of told her a few different things that he had been doing. She felt like it was a full confession and they were going to be able to start over. He had been online and chatting with girls and seeing pictures he wasn't supposed to see, but they were just popping up and he didn't know what to do with them. So they were going to read a Dr. Phil book and everything was going to be okay. Well, he also said at that time, I want you to trust me. I want you to put spyware on my computer. I want uh, emails to go to my best friend and my son, and I want you all to know that I'm straight up. And we were like, great, we'll do that. Well, he thought we didn't, and we did. 
And so two months later, um, we did that at Christmas, and by February, Mac and I had been in a two-month covert, undercover operation sorting through all the mess. It was um, actual meetings with real people, was online connections with girls, um, things that as a child and a, a pregnant mother and then later with a, a tiny baby, I had no business seeing. But I was trying to figure out what to do with it. Now I had all this information. It led to an intervention to save his soul and bring him back because we thought, somebody's got to help him. And we, we were angry, but we loved him. And he is ours. And if we don't fight for him, he's going to. We also were scared to death for my mom. Like, what's going to happen when she finds out? And so my brother came into town. He had the flyer. We had uh, appointments with uh, bankers and attorneys. And uh, her school had gotten her off for the day so that we could have this meeting with her and show her. We had a stack of files like this of all the things that we had uncovered. What came to be was 30 years of a, of a double life. Um, names, we don't, didn't know, different aliases, um, just so many different things including uh, money trails and harassment and uh, tax fraud and just this whole other person who was not the things we saw on the board earlier about the things that were safe. So we began um, an intervention with the help of a therapist. It lasted seven hours, and during that time, he was not sure what we knew, so he was telling small parts, and we finally just said, you need to get some help. He agreed to a week of therapy and came home, thinking that everything was going to be okay, and that he was healed. Um, at that time, he also wanted, he was so sad that we learned about it, y'all, because he wanted to die with us never finding out. His goal was to protect us from it that he would have died in it. And we cannot disregard our sins so much that we're willing to take it to our grave and risk dealing with it with the Father because get it out now, ladies, while you can. Um, it, was, it was not a, a pleasant next eight years. Um, what came out next was people saying things to us that they had witnessed throughout the years. Other women had come up and said, oh yeah, I had uh, you know, a situation and my mother looked around and thought, all these people knew about this and nobody said anything? So this is, this is the culture we live in. We are in a Christian body of belief and we don't speak truth to people. We don't say things that can heal. We think, say things that we think are not going to ruffle anyone's feathers. Anyway, uh, his goal then was to rebuild his reputation in the community. And in, in the years that followed, in doing so, that was to discredit us. And so we are currently estranged from him. And I don't know if that will be remedied anytime soon or if it won't. But um, we stand in the place of just loving him and having to love him from a distance for the safety of my family and my children, I became out of mind, y'all. I mean, after having a baby, I don't remember Macy's whole first year of life. I was so deep entrenched in what I had found out about my home, and I was rocked. I had no idea um, what to trust in anymore. And my therapist finally said, you're going to have to decide. Are you going to be a parent to these people in the house, or are you going to go work on your mom and dad? And I was like... They're going to have to handle their business. You take it. 
I've got to work on these. And right now, that is us being separate from him. And I hope that one day, he becomes the same person, we can be reconciled. So continue to pray for us in that, because we have not, we've not achieved that yet. But in our search for trust thereafter, um, my brother Brad was rocked to his core, a boy losing his father in that way. Um, and he found uh, answers from the wrong places and ended up marrying a, a Church of Christ girl that he thought was safe because of her title. And she ended up being a um, borderline personality that put him in the hospital where he was to live and put a gun to his head and asked if he was ready to die. Um, and then my sister-in-law married a closet alcoholic who refused treatment and then would yield weapons, you know, in defense of the home, but never threatening her, and she was just thinking, what has happened? And I thought, where are we? Do we not live in a, in a security and in, in this family that we've always thought was perfect, and all of a sudden my dad and my brother, and everything is falling apart, and I just asked God, what is it? What do you want us to know? And I feel like his message is that we have to stand up and tell everybody that life isn't perfect. We do not live currently in the state of heaven. I would love to say we do. I know God is here, and I feel him. He's living and active, and he'll be here in heaven too whenever that time comes. But we have got to fight evil because it's here too. And if we don't stand up and fight it, it's going to take over. We don't want to get into that. Um, there was one friend who helped to save my brother and sister-in-law from their situations because she was in a very similar situation. You may have heard about her. Her name is Micah Ryan. She was married to a, a boy that she met at Harding and he ended up murdering her because they were in an abusive relationship and she was too afraid to tell anybody. And he's now serving time in prison. But when, when my brother and sister-in-law were going through their dangerous marriages, I was saying, look at Micah. If she were here, what would she tell you? Tell somebody. You've got to talk about it. You've got to tell somebody. Um, and the next thing I want you guys to know, I'm kind of going to get off on marriage for just a minute. I have a couple slides about that. But we teach girls that they have to stay no matter what. And that was one of the issues that came up with my parents. My dad had this mentality of, well, we're married and you can't leave, so it really doesn't matter what I think. Are we teaching our girls that? We need to teach our girls to be godly. Marriage is not about godliness. Godliness is first. So, uh, this next line on your form is that marriage is not a partnership. If I said that to you, you would kick me out the door. Because let me tell you, I went to a therapist for our premarital counseling with Matt, and he said, I'm going to tell you two things, and you're not going to like me. The first thing he said is, marriage is not a partnership. And I was like, yep, I don't like you, I'm fine. <laughs> um, but he said, think about it. If both of you are giving part, then neither one of you are giving all your effort. You're not trying as hard as you can. So let's not think of it as a partnership. Let's think of it as everyone giving 100%. The next thing he said is divorce is an option. And I thought, okay, wrong again. Still never coming back to you. And he said, okay, let's unpack this sentence. If divorce was never an option and you knew it wasn't on the table, how would you protect against it? For instance, if you knew by some magic crystal ball that you were never going to be in a car accident, why would you wear your seatbelt? Would you? Would you go the speed limit? Because you knew you were safe. There's nothing you could do. We cannot pretend 
like our marriages are always going to be perfect and that they're always going to be there because they're at risk. There are forces outside of us trying to pull us apart. And we've got to fight that. We've got to stand up and, and represent the Lord's godly marriage and uh, make sure that our churches are strengthening them as well. So the next line on your form should be, we are not going to put marriage above godliness. I don't know if I can make this thing slide over, but I might. I might have that. It's, it's not on the slides, but it's on your form. You will hear churches teach otherwise, that anything is acceptable within marriage. And I don't think that anything is acceptable. That's a hard word to say. Um, I want to read one thing about abuse. That's one of the things that came up in my mom and dad's relationship that we never knew about, but after the divorce, mom came forward with some abuse situations that she had been dealing with over the years and wasn't brave enough to tell anyone. But abuse is fundamentally a mentality. It's a mindset of entitlement, and the abuser sees himself as entitled. Power and control are his natural right, and he feels justified in using whatever means are necessary to obtain power and control. They're not hampered by pains of conscience or lack thereof. It can be verbal, emotional, financial, social, sexual, and even spiritual abuse. Have you heard of spiritual abuse? <clears throat> One of the situations recently where that was discussed is in the movie Spotlight. I'm not saying that you should go watch it, but it was a great movie that was the winner for the uh, Oscars this last week. And the story is on the Boston Globe reporters that uncovered the abuse within the Catholic Church. 250 or so priests across the world abused about a thousand or more little boys, and no one said anything. No one said anything because it's within the umbrella of spirituality and, and safety, and it wasn't safe. So, I'm not advocating divorce, ladies. I love families. Families are the rock of Christianity, and it's what God has provided for us. But I do advocate us living in reality. And we don't want to have a marriage that's not what it actually is, because what's the point of pretending? So, anyway, I'll get off my marriage soapbox, but um, if, think about if somebody had gotten to my dad when he was a young man and encountered some of the situations that he was already involved in and had helped him to reveal it to himself and to others and confess, maybe we wouldn't be here today. Maybe he would be healed and our family would have been able to be together. I don't know, but um, I just think we've got a lot. We have a chance right now to, to make changes and to do things right. Um, so the truth is we've really all come from a dysfunctional family because Adam and Eve were too. So <laughs> if you think you aren't from one, you are. They work. So it's good. Um, and so when we ask the question then, if, if my father isn't even saved, then who is? And... Um, the thing that we want to really discover here is this sentence here. This is another one on your handout. When you ask yourself about who saved people are, you've got to learn the difference between a God worshiper who sins and a self worshiper who attends church. Can you separate in your mind what that looks like? There is um, a lot of Bible verses that teach us about this, but we don't like to think about it, you know. The Lord, Lord, um, and not everyone who calls my name will be identified as one of mine from Matthew. I mean, he tells us that not everyone who pretends to be godly is, but we just don't like to discuss that. It makes us look politically incorrect and hateful. But this is truth and love. We're honest and we're true, and we can do it in kindness, and that's just the reality. 
Uh, a, a counterfeit Christian can do more damage than 12 good saints can, do you think? I mean, if someone comes along and undercuts your Christianity and makes you think, well, I don't want to be like them, you think not 12 good Christians is going to fix it? We've we really got to make sure that we can identify by the scriptures the way that they tell us to discern. So that's what we're going to get into next. Um, what do you think the difference is between discernment and judgment? I want you all to shout this out for a second. If you can identify what a difference is, let me know. God do it. So what's judgment? Okay, I'm hearing a lot of answers and you're right. The, the definitions I come up with is discernment is just using the spirit within us that he's given us as a gift to observe. We just look at and see what, what is out there and our spirit discerns it. There's verses on the fruits and that's what we use, the fruits of the spirit to discern if that spirit or not. And judgment is us making a call about that person's life. It is not our job to make a call about somebody's spirituality or their salvation. It's just our job to make a call about what we see on the outside and let them and the Lord work out the rest of it. But it is our job then, if we love and if we genuinely love, to step in and do something about it with them because we care. So, let's talk about the fruits for a second. I've always hated that they call it fruits of the Spirit because it just... Makes me think of kids' songs when we were little and carrying around baskets of fruit. Um, but it's evidences that the Spirit is there. You can't go to the market and buy more Spirit. I mean, you can't go get more apples and have Spirit. So what we want is to really help people to understand that the Spirit is present all the time. You can't have more Spirit or less Spirit. The Spirit's there. And He's working. And unless you bury Him behind the other things you have going on, He's going to reveal things if you're looking. Um... Don't be deceived. You can't see what you're not looking for. It is what it is. It's there. It's reality. Whether you can see it or not, it's still what's going on. So use the Spirit's gifts to see truth. <clears throat> Alright, the next difference to discuss is peacekeeper versus peacemakers. What's the difference there? Shout it out. Yes. You're all right though. Peacemate, peacekeeping is avoided. Just not dealing with it. If I'm going to be a peacekeeper, I'm going to just kind of push everything over under the rug like Karen said. But peacemaking is taking the appropriate steps, the godly steps, to get to peace. If you're living with a secret, you're not feeling true peace. Why would we need our armor? What's the point of having the godly armor if we don't need to go into battle? I saw a quote on Facebook the other day. And I love it. I'll, I'll uh, make it a, a little more of a PG-rated word than what they said. But it said, be the woman that when you get up in the morning, the devil goes, oh, she'll, she's up. <laughs> Here we go again. We've got to be a battle, girls. We have to fight for our families and for the Lord. Um, I'm going to tell another story about being in a movie that was very disturbing. 
stand. I was there with my gracious, loving, sweet mother-in-law, <laughs> who is a tender flower princess. And so she, during the bad scene, would close her eyes and just say, oh, I just can't watch that. And at the end of the movie, I said, can you believe how bad that was? And she's like, I don't know. I wasn't watching that. <laughs> but, well, that's what our churches are doing with this situation. When things aren't okay, in our families and in our churches, we would rather just kind of close our eyes and be like, Ooh, I don't want to see it. I don't want to believe it. And we can't. We can't do that. Let's open it up and let him heal because he is the healer and he will take it away. So, have we seen too many movies to be moved? Do you think maybe the, the things that are going on in life really don't seem all that bad because of everything that we've encountered so far? I want to read... From Ephesians 6, 10 through 14. All right. This is where we're getting to the passage about armor. Be strong in the Lord and in his power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand, your stand against the devil's spirits. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities and the powers of the dark world, against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. Put on the armor so that one day, when evil comes, when, you will be able to stand your ground. After you've done everything to stand, then stand firm then with the belt buckled around your waist and truth. And your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, the shield of faith. And it goes on, and at the end of verse 18 it says, And pray in the Spirit so that you may be alert. We're told to be watchful, be discerning, be looking for things that are happening that do not need to be going on. And if we can help, let's try to do that. Okay, um, we're going to do a couple more words to compare. Let's see about condemnation and conviction. What do you see the difference being here? Okay, so it's yourself. What is condemnation then? Someone else putting it on you. It's not coming from within. Okay, so done two is conviction and done or done, condemnation is done too. And conviction is done within your own self. <clears throat> Love is not genuine if truth is repelled. If truth isn't present in your relationship, it's not, it's not complete love. God, Jesus is truth. If he's there, we're going to be open about that. Um, that. There's a point to be made. If you're in a relationship, even a friendship, um, that you don't actually have genuine love for that person, you're kind of you're their friend, but you don't really have a, a full care about what goes on in their life, then you do not need to be the person that tackles the issue with them. Because what that does is puts you in a position of learning information that turns to gossip or um, is not for their benefit. But if, if you are not having full genuine love for someone, you need to let someone who loves them fully do it. <clears throat> it's not easy. Having to bring up something that's ugly and hard and face it, it's not easy. This one, it's a really small word. Can you see? Not easy. We were never promised an easy road. But we were promised a blessed one because he's part of it with us. So, one more to compare. 
so much of a difference in the two words, but when we get to this point and we love somebody and we want to be able to help, or if we're looking at ourselves and we realize something needs to change, we have to decide if that can be repaired or if it needs to be replaced. So our roles as friends and loved ones is to be facilitators of healing. We cannot heal somebody. We don't have that power. That comes from the Lord himself. But we can be the ones that he uses to help them uncover it. My dad cannot be replaced. I can't have a new dad. I wouldn't want one. But that is something that isn't repaired now either. So I'm in a place of limbo where I just have to be content in the Lord and trust in him and know that whatever comes of it, I'm okay. I have a new, a new dream. Um, I'm not alone. I know that. I know that um, when Paul's thorn in the flesh was not removed, he had to keep that thorn, whatever it was, that it made him closer to the Lord. They were best buddies because of it. So not always the, the things that we go through that are so hard end up, in hindsight, being totally unbearable. They end up being blessings in disguise. Um, so how do we do it? How do we help somebody or help ourselves? The first slide we're talking about here, there's nothing for you guys to fill out, but I wanted you to have the full list because this is important. If you're going to go to a friend and help them, this is a good starting place. I want you to all be able to take this home and have it as a reference. Generally, it's just that you have other people that you that support. You have friends, family, your church, and you do everything in truth and love. Um, you go with them first and then take others if needed. Embrace therapy because it's good and it really helps. Um, and then look for true repentance. I mean, true repentance is a total change. Jesus is a change. When you're with him, you cannot be the same when you walk away. Look at Moses. He couldn't face the Lord and his face physically not be changed. So we're changed when we're with him. The, the hard part is, on two sides, you don't want there to be this big elephant in the room that nobody talks about. But you also don't want to take one of these flashlights and shine it directly in somebody's face and it be blinding and harsh. There's a good way. I mean, my, my favorite way would be to have a little coffee and a little Jesus, too, and everybody go talk it out. But um, I think the thing to do is to call your friend, if there's something between you, and say, I love you. And I love you too much to let you go through this on your own. Can I help? And they may say no. Or you might ask them again in a month or something like this. But we need to let people know that we're there and we care and there's nothing that they can say that will make the love change. Um, remember as the verse said about our, our battle not being against people but against the forces of darkness. We are not against people but we're against sin for people because we love the people of the Lord. So, these next steps are the ones where you're, when you're going to shine that light on yourself and reflect on what you need to do. Um, the biggest message here, y'all, is to confess. That's something that we've left out of a lot of our, our Christian processes is we just think, it's nobody's business what I'm doing. You're judging me if you're asking. But no one's confessing things that are tough. And I bet I'm going through everything you're going through and you're going through and we haven't said it, so we're not helping each other, you know? But if we would just talk about it, it can be to a small group of friends, it can be to one friend, it can be to a trusted, safe person that is justifiably safe. Um, but you need to be able to use it. Turn your mess into a message. Take a selfie. Who had the selfie stick earlier tonight? I was loving that. <laughs> Take a selfie. Turn it on you and look at yourself. 
himself through God's eyes, right? And entering and looking at stuff in his perspective. So, a story of a friend of mine. I had a friend who became pregnant out of wedlock, and rather than just hiding it or pretending it didn't happen or moving away, she went forward to her church and said, Here's what happened. I am devastated. I'm in trouble. I need your help. I don't know what to do. And she was flooded with love and support and kindness from her church family. And they helped her with that baby. And she's still a, a vital member of their community. But y'all, that's what we're here for. We're here to help each other. Imagine how hard it could have been on her to do it the other way. And some of you have experienced that too. I mean, what God does is He can take us and give us a new dream. The dream that we thought was ours may not be what it is. So here's the next sign. Sometimes on the way to the dream, you get lost and get a better one. I like that one. Um, the opposite of God is not good. What is it, girls? We get in our own way. We get in our own way. He has no power over us that we don't give him. The Lord has promised us that. If we stand firm, he cannot take anything from us that we don't give him. And Christianity is not a religion, but a relationship. And that's the new dream. That's the new dream that he has. If you'll let go of yourself and the things that are holding you back, he wants to give you that dream and that relationship with him. Um, the good news is, through this whole process, I know it's not easy, and some of y'all are thinking, I don't want to be your friend because you're going to call me out. <laughs> my mom was like, oh, you're not going to like you. You're going to make a friend. But I was like, this is, this is my passion, y'all. I really, I feel like through all that my family went through, we could not have been turned on our heads upside down with three broken marriages in a row within a few years. And that's not hear the message. It was like he was thumping us on the head saying, come on people, you've got something to say. And then Micah's death, I feel like she's, she's done the same thing. She could tell us what to do differently. It would be to live in reality and help people through the Lord's light of truth. So... I no longer think Cersei is heaven, <laughs> but I do desire heaven, and I want to be there, and I, I need the Lord, and I want to be in that new life with Him. And so, as, even though it's not easy, let your faith be bigger than your fear. It will be hard, and there will be days when things stand in your way, and they don't want you to come out on top. I mean, I remember one of the things my father said to me was, you enjoyed taking me down, didn't you? And I think, yeah, I enjoy not remembering anything about my daughter's first year of life. And I know that was the devil and him speaking and wasn't out of his voice. So let's, let's face the dark. It's not easy. So since we're not afraid, let's turn off the lights. Everybody get your flashlight. Don't turn it on quite yet. We're not afraid. Turn them off for a minute. All right. Here's the thing. I'll turn mine off too. I still have If I shine my light by itself, this room that was dark can be a little bit lighter. Maybe you can see a little bit through the murky water, and maybe it's a little clearer and God's lighting the way. Your path is lit in front of your steps, not at the end. So you've got to take it a little bit at a time. But what happens if all of us turn our lights on? 
Turn them on and point them to the sky. How much more truth is illuminated? Raise them up, ladies. Raise them high. You are the generation that can help teach our churches and our families how to live in transparency and reality. Turn the lights on. I'm going to read to you. Um, we know the Spirit restores, and so let's keep these lights high while we read from John 3, 19, the words of Jesus himself. He says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But men love darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for the fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by truth comes into the light so that they may see plainly what he has done and been through, through God. Thank you for having me tonight.